0: And Valerie, thank you for leading us in that special as we prepare for worship. Marilyn, thank you for playing beforehand. And Jason, thank you for your first rotation. And I appreciate that. Uh, and you notice a theme. I, I think it's neat that the, the prayer is uh, to pray for uh, God to make us different. And welcome. We're glad to see everybody here and glad for it to be a full house. If you have your bibles I would ask you to remain ask you to turn to them and maybe you'd like to keep them open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going through our study of the letter of Ephesians and we come to the latter part of the very first chapter. As you know, we've taken several weeks just to get through the first 14 verses because what we have said over and over is the first 14 verses especially verse 3 through verse 14 is probably some say one of the most majestic passages in all of Holy Scripture. Over the last several weeks, our goal, our hope, our aim of preaching has for us been to see the goodness of God the Father, who through His amazing grace and His loving Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, gave us salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit, who initiates our faith, seals our faith, guarantees our inheritance, and provides for us the richest of our spiritual blessings. Before we get into what may seem to be the core of the message, I just simply want to continue to walk down almost verse by verse this first chapter. There's something in verse 15, if you will turn and kind of focus there. Paul says, For this reason I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I really don't want us to miss this. Uh, it, this is kind of before we get to the main message. My message this morning is on the prayer for the saints or the prayer for believers. But this is this is a huge deal. When the coronavirus began to hit our land, one of the most immediate needs was for testing. As a matter of fact, reliable testing many thought was was one of the biggest needs uh, to get an accurate result. The issue that people needed to know was that were they infected or not. Now I'm gonna go somewhere with this. The Apostle Paul, whether intentionally or just to clarify, gives us a test of what a genuine follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And it's right here in this one verse. So I think it would be fitting for all of us to look at this verse and say, if I were tested to be a Christian, what would the results be? I wish people would be more concerned with being infected with Christ than COVID. I'm not trying to be flippant, but what I'm trying to do is to spoke something that says the biggest need in our lives is to do this test and to see if we're truly following Christ. And I think Paul has it here for us in verse 15. He says, I give, I've heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus. Now we've spent 3 or 4 weeks looking at what it means to be saved. We've seen it's God who chooses us, who predestines and sets a course of plan for us as adopted children in Christ. We've seen Paul saying that Jesus lived and died and rose again as our payment for our sin debt, and God the Holy Spirit empowering us to have this faith and to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. But I'd like to go just a bit deeper. What is faith? Faith is not just believing. I think that's one of the erroneous things. A lot of people believe in God. And I hear people say that all the time. As a matter of fact, just within the last 12 hours, I heard someone, they they heard that I was a Christian, and they said, oh, I believe in God. And and I'm not making any judgments on that person, but I, I just, I thought, I wonder what she meant when she said She believes in God. You know, the devil and his demons believe in God. You don't have to try to convince a demon or a legion of demons about Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Gospels, we have that account where there was a whole legion. Demons ran from Jesus. So they believe. As a matter of fact, I heard one guy say that they have more knowledge of Jesus, more factual knowledge than we will ever have. They already know him from the heavenly realms. So it's not just understanding a set of facts. We can have all the information, but not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So what is a saving faith? Look at the words right here in the text, faith in the Lord Jesus. It's faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith means to renounce any attempt of self-salvation, any attempt of saving ourselves. We stop trying to save ourselves and we come to a place that we know we can't save ourselves and we cast ourselves upon the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Who is this Jesus? Paul uses two words, I believe, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit very intentionally. He uses the word Lord and Jesus. Lord defines his deity and Jesus defines his humanity. Jesus was a human as we were human, although he was perfect. And sinless in his humanity. Therefore, he could die and become our sacrifice. He could atone for our sins and pay the sin debt we couldn't pay. The term Lord is the fact that he was God. And that was proven that he was God by his resurrection. So when we confess, when we place our trust in the God man Jesus in all that he did, we know we have genuine faith. Again, a verse that keeps coming over the last four or five weeks and hopefully you're memorizing it is Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth that, the Lord, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We saw last week in 1 Corinthians 12, 3 that no one can be saved except through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, genuine faith is It's when we do not trust in anyone or anything else to save us other than the Lord Jesus. Now, just a quick test. Now, that's easy to say here in church. But if you look back over the last week, what were you trusting in? What was I trusting in? Was it 100% the Lord Jesus? When you would die. I heard a guy say this to me this week. He said he asked someone, if I were to bleed out in 30 seconds, can you share with me the gospel? And that was a challenge for me. If someone was dying, could you in 30 seconds share with them the gospel? Well, genuine faith is saying I can't save myself And because I couldn't save myself, God chose me and set a plan in place for me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did on the the cross is the only way I can be saved, and I'm putting all of my trust in Him. There's a second part of this test. It says, for your love towards all the saints. The second mark of a person with a genuine saving faith is for the love of the saints or a love for other people. When our hearts have been changed by the Lord Jesus, we see people differently. I thought about what approach I could use, and I seem to always use the same approach of talking about the current culture and the counterfeit culture and the errors of our culture and about genuine Christian love. But I'm going to be a little different this morning, and I hope you will. I don't know if I even need to apologize for it. I'm just going to come out and say it. If you don't love the saints, people who are following the Lord Jesus, you may or probably are not a Christian. It's just that simple. And when we love God's people, we care for God's people. We gather with God's people for worship. We serve God's people. And we're going to learn in our text this morning, we are praying for God's people because they are They are paramount in our relationships. There's a saying that I've said over and over, and and it's just so true to me because it's what I need, and I'm kind of saying it selfishly, but when I want to be a part of a church family that wants to do life together, I want to be united to a people because of our unity in Christ. They want to share their life with me, and they want me to share my life with them. But this isn't something I want. I would just, I'm only going to ask you to turn back a couple of pages a couple of times. Would you just turn to Matthew chapter 22? This is not new. As a matter of fact, it's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 22, you probably already know it, but it's in chapters 22, verses 34 through 40. Jesus was being interviewed by a Pharisee, a religious leader, a a person who went to so-called church or synagogue. And they were trying to stump him. They said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this in Matthew 22. If you will look with me in verse 37, he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment in verse 39. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Very simply, Jesus said, The greatest thing we can do is to love God and to love others. So when we come to a saving faith in Christ, we understand that God loves us in spite of ourselves. And I won't go through that whole long list, but the fact that we're vile and wretched and we can't save ourselves. And the reason I love God so much is because the Bible says he first loved me. I know I'm unlovable. I know that I can't say be saved. There's nothing inherently good in me. And so I'm humbled that God would even love me. And so I'm so consumed by God's love for me that my only response for other people is to love them. You know, when we're hateful to other people and when we're mean-spirited to other people and when we gossip about other people, all we're doing is showing that we don't understand God's love in our life. For a person who had genuinely been converted... It's impossible to love the father and not love his children. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 4.20, it says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. Genuinely converted people are the people of the Bible who are God-focused and other-focused. This or these are the marks of a genuine believer. I would have to ask you, how did you do in the test? You know, if not so good, let me tell you that that's where amazing grace comes in and that God wants to do something here this morning. I've said for weeks now that it's not by accident you're here, sitting where you're sitting with the people you're sitting with, listening to this message, because it's not what I'm saying, it's what I'm pointing us to, the Word of God, that I believe He wants to do something But if we go back to our text this morning, let's look at verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, here's another side note. If you wanted to do a follow-up test of what Paul says is a test for a genuine believer, now I had trouble with this one, that people who are following Christ genuinely have a gratitude attitude. You know, people who love Jesus should be marked by being a thankful people, a grateful people. I'm not saying happy. Happy comes and goes. But they should at least be thankful. Paul is thankful for those in Ephesus. He's thankful for their faith and the way they've been forwarding the gospel. I bought a book for Jake and David as we're going to be preaching through uh, Ephesians and it's on the movement of the church of Ephesus. Do you realize that most of what we know as Christendom that went through Europe and the whole thing had to do with this little church plant here in Ephesus or, Ephesus or Asia Minor. It was their faith that was spreading throughout the, gro- the globe. It was, they were a part of this great Christian movement. So again I stop and I've just been asking myself questions. If someone were writing to St. Louis Crossing, what would they say about our faith? What would they say about us spreading the gospel? What would they have said about our past? But now let me ask you this question. What will they say about our future? He goes on and he says, remembering you and my prayers. We could do a whole series of sermons on prayer. But it's a topic we all struggle with, if we're honest, isn't it? I seem like I'm almost allergic to prayer at times. But this morning, I'm not going to talk about posture or time or mechanics. Instead, I want to talk about the priority and the perseverance and the pattern and the purpose and the power of prayer. But before we move on, I want to do another part of the test. If we would go back and review the last 167 hours, that we've been since we've been together i just want you to ask this question don't write it down don't tell anybody husbands don't nudge your wives wives don't nudge your husbands kids don't get don't look at mom mom don't look at the kids but how much have you prayed i'm not necessarily speaking about praying before a meal although that's wonderful how many days have you set aside intentional times of prayer or let me change it. How much have you spent intentional quality time with your Heavenly Father? I'm not shaming you. I don't want to shame you. But you know, from time to time I've tried to watch my health. And I've tried to do things like run and eat ride and watch what I the carbs I take in. And anytime I, I ask somebody to encourage me or to coach me, I wouldn't want to coach to come up and say, if I was trying to prepare for a mini marathon, I wouldn't want a coach to say, uh, don't worry about running. I'm not going to ask you how you did. No, we want a coach to come in and say, how many miles did you put in this week? How, what was your times? Where were you struggling? And so, so here it is. I'm, I'm asking about prayer. Great people of faith, I've noticed, have this pattern of being very intentional about their prayer life. Are you? Notice what Paul's praying for. Now that's a whole different topic and this is kind of where I want to go this morning. He's praying for the saints. He's praying for the saints. Again, I believe this is a reflection of Matthew 22 coming through in Paul. He's praying to God, he's reflecting, he's coming to God and he's talking about other people. Notice who he's not talking about, at least in this part of the text. There's a place for this, he's not concerned with him. He doesn't have a long list of health concerns. He's praying for the saints. And we're going to see what he's praying for. I want to stop and interject something about praying. This is he's saying he's praying for the saints. But what about those people that are our enemies? What about the people you don't like? What about the people that have hurt you? What about the people that drive you crazy when you see them? What about me? Maybe that's me. Well, I'd like for you to be biblical. I'm going to ask you to turn one more time to Matthew. You're all quiet in here this morning. So is there anyone in here that maybe has a person that you don't like so well? Oh, come on. You don't want to say amen to that. Well, I know you better. I'm I'm sure I'm on one of those lists for, for someone in the room. Um, but hopefully not my wife. Matthew 5, let's talk about our enemies. Let's talk about the people that we would say in street language, I just kind of, I can't stand that person, or I maybe even hate that person, although we shouldn't hate them. What about our enemies? Well, I want to read this kind of in its totality. Matthew 5, verse 43 and following says, "'You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy.'" This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you, love your enemies. And I want you to notice these next few words. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on evil and on good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward would you have? In other words, if you're kind to people, it's kind to you. It's really not a big deal. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Don't even tax collectors treat people who are nice to them the same? Verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So guess what? Here's this pattern again. Genuine faith. Genuine faith is loving God and loving others. We see Paul saying right here at the beginning of this this passage we're looking at saying he's, he's talking to God, who's he talking about other people? But here it is, even with our enemies. What, how should we treat? If you're genuinely saved, if Jesus has rule over your life and over my life, I'm going to love those people and I'm going to pray for them. As a matter of fact, I think we should just, we would all be better off if we would stop talking about the people we don't like and start praying for the people we don't like. Our text is important because he's going down and he's, it's interesting. If you've been listening and following along and reading along about this majestic text for the first three to verse three through verse 14, it's, I, you wonder what would Paul's next thing be in this letter? He's talking about the majesty of God and the, the redemption of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he immediately goes into this prayer. You see I think that that's important because I think Paul's theology drives his actions. Paul's theology drives his actions. Or orthopraxy or orthodoxy drives his orthopraxy. And that just very simply means his his practice is driven by what he believes or his doctrine. I think it's important for the same For us, does it drive you to prayer? Does what you think about Jesus drive you to praying for others? Well, first look, the priority of prayer prayer is paramount for Paul. We need to worship. We need to preach. We need to hear preaching. We need to have gospel conversations. But what we need more and much more of is prayer. Does anyone besides me feel like this is a fitting time for us today in this land? I just, just wonder, you know, thank God for Franklin Graham yesterday. Who marched on, on Washington and just said we're going to pray. It wasn't a political event. It was a prayer event. Because Franklin Graham, I believe, is right about this. We need prayer. There's something else in verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you or remembering you always in my prayers. There's a perseverance of prayer. Prayer is a continual thing. It's not a one and done type of thing. prayer is meant to transform us as much as it is to change the situation we're praying about. in my own, this may be my own problem. This may be me talking about my own self, but, but God isn't a genie. He's not a magic Aladdin where we just go to our prayer closet and rub our little magic genie lamp and woof, he pops out and says, oh, Tim, you're here. I, I want to grant you three wishes today. What are they? That's not what prayer is prayer is this communion with god and it's a it's it's a habit that forms our faith and it, we must linger in prayer and i just realized as I, this this these past 4 weeks have done more for me personally and my my own faith than i than I, I can't remember in times past i just have come to a different understanding of god or a better understanding of god and and this week i just Realized, and immediately this week I was convicted that that my perseverance in prayer is lacking. If I would just pray as much as I complain, my prayer life would take on a whole new set of, a whole new life of its own. Again, I kind of pause for some kind of amen in there. Verse 17, he says... We see the priority of prayer. We see the perseverance of prayer. But he he says he thinks and prays that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. It's a pattern of prayer. We are Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what is he doing? Almost always in Scripture, prayer is to God the Father, through the mediating work of God the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's doing. Ephesians two eighteen says, For through him we have both access and one Spirit to the Father. Paul is making clear to who he is praying to. And it's clear, and we want to be clear. Who are you praying to? Because a lot of people, like a lot of people believe in God, a lot of people pray. They say they pray, but who are they praying to? If you remember back in Acts 17, Paul was in Athens and he came upon this shrine or this tomb and it was labeled to the to the shrine or the tomb of an unknown God. They were polytheists. They were so concerned about not forgetting some God that they even labeled one place the tomb to the unknown God. Even if they had forgotten one, they wanted to make sure they referenced him. That's Paul's making clear to to the people at Ephesus, we're praying specifically to the God of the universe who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how he referred to himself in the Old Testament? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your fathers, the God of Israel. What's he communicating? He's a covenant God. He's saying I'm a relational God, I'm a personal God. And now Paul is showing us that he's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. A new covenant, we're new covenant Christians, right? That's where you can say amen, right? You understand you're a new covenant Christian. There's a new covenant in Christ. It's a covenant of grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith, right? Everybody with me? We're not saving ourselves, we're not after works, we're not under the law, we're under Christ. We're under this grace. And he's saying there's a better way of approaching God. It's through Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament was, re- was pointing to this one, I'm going to reveal to you in Jesus Christ, my son. And now it is here. And that's why a few weeks ago, I said, when we approach the Lord Jesus, or when we approach God the Father, we do so through the Lord Jesus. And it's there we can have this term of endearment of a father, Abba Father. It's a, it, it, was the, it was the word for the day of a, a, a tender, deep, endearing Reference to God. And I, and, I, and I understand that not all of us have that kind of relationship with our parents. But God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, is one you can. And you can have access to him at any time. The point of this is he's praying to the one who all glory of the universe comes from. So here's the takeaway. It matters to whom we're praying We're praying to God. We're praying to the God of the universe. We're praying to the one who is glorious. We're praying to God the Father through Jesus Christ who has saved us and now has given us access to God the Father. We can walk in God's presence. We are praying to the one that made us and created us and is sovereign and in control of everything. And so when we do so, we don't do it in a flippant, callous, or a flippant, cavalier manner. We don't, we are approaching him in awe and wonder and reverence. So the takeaway is: remember, you're praying to the sovereign God of the universe. Why is Paul writing this? Here's the purpose of his prayer. It's very simply: it's this: to know God. He wants people to know God better. Over the next few lines of this text, we see that Paul is pleading with God the Father. He's praying, he's imploring, he's interceding on them. For them, he wants them to know God better. And I'm going to get to meddling now, and I'm probably going to upset one or two, or maybe you're going to shake your head, but what are you praying for? I asked you how long, how many times were you praying this week? But what were you praying for? Now, somebody's going to say, well, Tim, it says cast all your burdens upon him. Yes. In Philippians 4, you're going to say, it says let, uh, through prayer and intercession, let your requests be known to God. And he cares for all. Yes, that's very true. It's very true. And we do that. And I do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your priority, is there a better thing for you to pray for? And I believe there is. And I think Paul gives us this purpose in verse 17. He says that the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's praying that these dear believers would grow in the depth of their relationship with God. Where did Paul get this from? You don't have to turn, make a mental note, Or jot it down, John 17, 3, Jesus said this, This is eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's not just some facts. It's about knowing Him personally. When you have a relationship with someone over the course of time, you have facts about them, but then you begin to know them. As a matter of fact, I've been married to Kim almost 33 years, very soon, right? And she can tell you some things about me, some things I may not even want to admit. She knows when I get in a situation how I'm going to respond. She can tell you, we'll get in the car and she'll say, what was wrong? And I'll say nothing. She goes, I I know you better. I, I, I know you, whatever I did, she knew it and she called it. She calls a spade a spade. So the point is she knows me. And, and she's, she gets to know me maybe better as time goes on, uh, maybe to much of her chagrin. But the point is, she spends time with me, and she knows me, and, and hopefully I begin to know her. Ephesians 3.18, we we're going to get to in a few weeks. Paul says, "...may I have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge." that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you, do you know God better today than when you first met Him? Psalms 34 is a great psalm, and I think it's verse 8. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. You can tell where my mind was this morning, uh, or it was when I prepared for this morning, if I told you that one of the best steaks in Indiana is at St. Elmo's, and I told you how they prepare it and how the, the waiters are dressed and how they bring you the bread. And, and if I tell you if you order a shrimp cocktail, it's the best shrimp cocktail. And if you like shrimp, there's shrimp this big. And if I tell you the shrimp cocktail sauce will literally blow your mind out. If you've never had it, it will literally set you on fire and make your face turn red. If I tell you that, that the steak will come exactly as you prepared it, if you told them to the, to the degree of the steak, they can make it happen. If I told you that the service was wonderful and amazing, And you just couldn't imagine, and and if I began to tell you about the sides that they have, is the garlic mashed potatoes, it might make anybody hungry. If I told you all about that, you may know some facts about St. Elmo's. But if I put you in the van, and I took you to St. Elmo's, and I ordered for you, and I said, I want them to experience the shrimp cocktail, and the And the steak, and if you like that kind of thing, the first time you picked up the shrimp and it's fresh, it just—it was within 24 hours ago in water, and if the steak was prepared exactly, it was like butter. You would taste, and see, and know that it was good. Is that analogy at all fitting to what Paul's praying for? He's praying that his brothers and sisters. Would come to know God intimately and they would taste Him and see and know that He's good. It was a priority of His prayer. The takeaway this morning I have for you, I've got to hurry. If you're a parent, are you praying for your kids? I, 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 I. you can pray for a lot of things for your kids. But the f- thing that you should be praying for most is that they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they can taste and see that he's good. If you're a grandparent, are you praying for your grandchildren? Who cares? I, I'm going to be flipping, I don't want to do that. Please pray for their studies and their academic performance and their athletic performance and their, their health. and all. Please pray for those things. But if you pray for those things and never pray for them to come to know Jesus Christ and to taste and see that He's good, you're missing it. I'm sorry, you are. What about us? What about if this week, and this is the goal of the sermon, when's the... When's the last time you prayed for somebody other than your blood relative in this church that they would taste and see and know that God is good? Do we, do we wonder why we're not growing? Or I don't mean physically, I don't, that numbers don't matter. What matters is the depth of our faith, because of 12 people, 1 11, 11 really impacted the world. And I believe if we started praying like Paul wants us to pray. And it just said to Brian, I'm praying for you that you know this, in this wisdom and revelation of Christ and you know him better. I pray that you know, I'm picking on you, brother, but uh, that you know him better at your job and when things become frustrating, that you know what Jesus is and that you understand who he is and he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. If we start praying like that, what would happen? Verse 18, having the eyes Of your hearts enlightened that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, Paul is praying now for the greatness of God's plan, for the plan for the world, the plan for the church, the plan for them. He's asking them to pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate their eyes so they can see what God is up to. So they can see that the plan of God isn't going to be thwarted. And I, what if we start praying that some of you are really worried? You're worried about the pandemic and some of you are worried about the election. And some of you are worried about your finances. Some of you are concerned about your children. Some of you are worried about the economy. Some of you are worried about, about whatever's going on in Louisville. And I am too. I am. But what if we could just start praying that God would illuminate our eyes so we could see what he sees? So we all cannot be anxious, but to rest in the presence and the peace of Christ. What if we could do that? What if? Not what if. Why not? Verse 19. He says to pray for the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of, working of his great might. Val, get ready. I'm going to wrap up. And I'm... In an African-American church, it's three wraps up before they get down. So that's my first. <clears throat> I have one daughter who's not here this morning that laughs at me because I say that words matter. And she kind of rolls her eyes, but words matter. <clears throat> and... uh Paul uses the words immeasurable greatness of his power here. He's, he's praying that they know the immeasurable greatness of his power. He could have just said the greatness of his power. He could have just said the power. He could have said just greatness. But do you understand what he's saying? And, and this, there's, a, there's a takeaway here. He's saying pray that they may know the immeasurable greatness. So, so the greatness that you can't measure, this power is so great you couldn't even fathom to measure how great it is. Pray that they know that kind of prayer or power in their life. So what if we pray that people would know God better? What if we prayed <clears throat> that, um, that they would see God's plans? What if we un- pray that they would see his power? So people, you're sitting here and you're wondering how. How can I? How can I evangelize? How can I do? How can I lead my family? How can I resist the temptation that's before me? How can I pray? How can I do whatever it is? How can I live the Christian life? You can't. Stop. You can't. You can't. You can't resist temptation. You can't lead your family. You can't evangelize. On your own, you can't do it. Do you understand that? It's right here in the scriptures. And a lot of times, Tim Dillingham tries to do everything in his own power. So I need you to pray for me. And I'm not joking. This is not preaching. This is is dead serious. Because I don't want to be in a church that's not going to pray for me like this. I'll just be candid. I want to be in a church that's going to pray for me to know the power that's in me through the spirit of Christ. That I, when I need to witness to a co-worker, I have the power. Not my power, Christ's power. I pray, that I need people to pray that I can resist the temptations that I fight daily. Do you all need that? Two of you need it. Well, I'll pray for all of you because the truth is all of you need it. And so does the church that's right over there, that little white church. And so does the church down there on 700 north. And so does the churches in Hope. And so does there, there's a church in Edinburgh that needs the same people praying. Are you with me? There's a few churches in Columbus. Do you know some people that you work with that are Christians that are struggling? Could they be benefited by you praying for that? Yeah, right? This is how the Ephesians changed the world. So as I close, Val, that's two. Start praying for those other people. That's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. So, in all seriousness, as I close, are you a genuine believer in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you have faith in only Him? Are you loving the saints Would you rather be with a bunch of Christians than any other place on the planet? I would. I'm not. I would. Are you loving your enemies? Are you praying for them? Well, there's some. There's some of us. I'm. I'm going to get political. There's some in this building that you cannot stand our current president. I just wonder if you've prayed for him. There's some in this building that can't stand the, the, the opponent in this upcoming November. I just wonder if you've prayed for him. There's some people in your family that you don't really care for. I just wonder if you've prayed for them. I wonder if you love them. Well, I can't do it. Right, you can't do it. That's why you need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to allow you to do it. Because if you're genuinely saved, that's what you're going to do. And I wonder if we all could just start praying these three things and just see what happens in the next seven days. I believe God is able and willing and waiting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you convicted me. I am the chiefest of all the things I've talked about. This is where I failed. So, Lord, as we begin to sing, if you're moving in someone's heart this morning, if you're drawing them, may they come to know you. May they trust in you implicitly. And, Lord, if there's anyone that needs to come forward and pray at this altar as we sing, Lord, I pray that you would not leave them in their seats, but you would prompt them out and they would come. Pray this in Jesus' name.